and you realize you are already there. We already have everything, but we don't know it and don't experience it. Everything has been given to us in Christ. All we need to experience is what we already possess. Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona welcomes you to another season of our podcast, Taste and See. This time we're talking about contemplation into the silent land. Welcome to the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. I'm Ted Wiesty, one of your hosts, and I'm here with Gray Ewing host and producer of uh, the podcast. Waited my whole life for that title, host and producer. Yeah, Gray Ewing, I am the pastor of Ascension Church of Phoenix, which is a liturgical Presbyterian church right in the middle of of Phoenix, and uh, it's a delight to work with the society on this podcast. And this season, I can't believe we're on season five of the podcast, and this season we've been taking a slow read, a, a slow walk really, through this great book, it's a short book, easy to read in many ways, Into the Silent Land, A Guide to Christian Practice, to the Christian Practice of Contemplation by Martin Laird. And alongside that, we have also had some guided contemplation time with the Be Still gatherings that we've been having as a society. So uh, basically, we're helping people walk through the simple practice of what it means to meditate and be silent. And the book itself uh, goes deep, but it also, at the end of the day, is just the practice of being still and using a prayer word. And it's very simple in a way, and yet it's deep. So we've been kind of responding to that simple but deep invitation. Yeah, and one of the things that's been fun so far, uh, we'll see how today goes, just kidding, (laughs) um, is we're having different people on our staff team um, share their thoughts as they're reading through the book. And today we're going to be talking about chapter four with my dear friend and uh, partner in ministry, Tom Ashbrook. And uh, Tom's been a part of the Spiritual Formation Society for quite a few years. He was on the board over these last couple of years, joined our staff team as he and Charlotte now live here in town. And uh, Tom has three kids, and am I right? Six grandkids? Five. Five. Okay. That I, that I know about. I, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's, like, that's like people ask my brother, how many children do you have? And he says, three that I know of. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, Tom, we're so glad to, to have you uh, yeah. part of this Thank conversation. You. Thank you, Ted. Great. Well, during this season, we've called this the coffee season because we've been drinking coffee together. It's always some kind of thing that we're tasting while we taste and see that God is good. And we always find unique, um, authentic, local coffee. It's always uh, the premium. It's it's never anything that's just commercial. And so this this time (laughs) we are trying something uh, new called Starbucks. Is that how you pronounce it? I I believe it's Starbucks. Starbucks. It's not not Starbucks. Nope, nope. Starbucks. Starbucks. Okay. And apparently this is uh, this is growing in popularity and um, unique. 
take. So, <laughs> but tell us what we got here, Ted. Because also, in the spirit of being boring, we all got the same thing. We did. We did. I I sent a message out. I think last night and just said, "Give me your coffee oh. order." And um, I was already thinking I'm going to do a an americano. That's kind of become my go to. And you guys both independently came back with americano. We wanted strong, dark roast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't want any foo foo in it. That's right. right. Nothing. Nothing. Because I think we're purists. <clears throat> That's right. I mean, how can we talk about prayer, right? And and drink a frappe. We, yeah. Right. When <laughs> the book is about distractions, That's right? And so <laughs> I I think the Lord may have been guiding us in this coffee. It, it's so you're saying milk and sugar or something like that. Could be a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You might have yeah. a point there. Plus, it's winter now, so we all got hot drinks. It, it makes a lot of sense. Could, could you imagine you're going, yourself going to a, a roaster and he says, how'd you like my coffee? And you'd say, the milk and the sugar were really added something to it. You know, we'd never do that, right? That's right. Wow, Tom, I, that's very profound. See, when you're a Lutheran, you can spiritualize anything. And so, <laughs> kidding, Lutherans, I, just, I can say it. If they did, it'd be bad, but you know. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, we're going to take a break here in a moment and enjoy our grande Starbucks Americanos. <laughs> so we kind of sold out to the corporate man, but that's okay. We're being vulnerable with yes. you today yes. on the podcast. And we want to remind you again that we are praying for Martin Laird, who uh, wrote this book, Into the Silent Land, as he's been dealing with some health problems. And we hope to possibly have him on the podcast at some point. We'll see how that goes. But I told him we'd be praying for him as we read through his book. So just another reminder and invitation to pray for our brother, Martin Laird. We'll take a break and we will uh, see you back here in just a bit. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. And we're back. So, with this unique experience of Starbucks, what did you guys think about, about the coffee? I thought it was good. I'm, I'm fairly critical of Starbucks generally, but I thought this was for a dark roast. I don't know what kind it was. Was it Pikes or? I don't know. An Americano, I think they just use uh, espresso. Espresso, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, espresso with water. I thought yeah. it was good, rich coffee. I, is this from the one down the street from the church here? We're, On we're 16th and yeah. Camelback. Yeah. Oh, 16th and Camelback. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah no, it's I, it's solid. I, I, they did, they didn't mess it up, which is kind of what you. It want would have been fun. It would have been fun to slam it. I know, but it's it's, it's darn good. It, it's good. It's good. We're giving they, into corporate America right here <laughs> on this right. podcast. <laughs> well, it's a good thing because nothing else we'll do today is very mainstream, right? <laughs> Contemplation is not something that everybody does, but 
So we're, we're diving into to chapter four together in our slow reading through this book. And the, the title of the chapter is The Three Doorways of the Present Moment, The Way of the Prayer Word. And if we could describe it very briefly, in this chapter, Laird is basically using a device to help us understand the depth of using a prayer word in prayer. So a prayer word would be the Jesus prayer uh, or just the word Jesus or any number of things from scripture or our experience that really focus our attention back on prayer. And so he says, here's a way to think about it. There's three doors. And I like how he says in the chapter here, I might as well have said there's no doors or there's 300 doors, you know, because in a sense, there's an artificialness to the division, right, of, of the three doorways. But what did you guys think of the concept, first, kind of in, in general, of using a prayer word and then kind of this three-door approach to it? Well, I think the, the idea of a prayer word, uh, at first to me, was pretty foreign. Uh, I, you know, I was in my 20s before, late 20s, early 30s, before I really started trying to be still and know that I'm God, right, in terms of prayer. And I found that I could make my body sit still, but I couldn't make my brain shut up. And it was so frustrating that, you know, I okay, I'm gonna spend a half hour in this room in prayer if it kills me, and I'm gonna be still, and I'm gonna quit blabbing all the time, I'm gonna shut my mouth up. And so the whole idea uh, of, uh, in terms of reading the, the way the pilgrim, for example, and and saying, okay, the, I'm not the only one that faced this problem, and that getting engaging my mind in a way that gives it something to do, it's like giving a kid a toy to play with to get him to be quiet. If you want him to be in the room and not say or do anything, but just sit there you know, good luck, you know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, but you give them a toy that's quiet and entertaining, well, they can do that. And so my mind, I've often thought of as this two-year-old that um, is easily distracted and wants to play, think, you know, problem solve, whatever. So to say a word, Jesus, or... uh, And the first one I tried was uh, the Jesus prayer. And probably it's uh, the, you know, the oldest form of Christian prayer next to the Lord's Prayer. And so the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Sort of long, and people don't use the whole thing, but the tradition says the whole of the gospel is in that prayer. Mm-hmm. So Lord, who's my Lord? It's G- he's Jesus Christ. Uh, who is Jesus Christ? He's the Son of God. Um, what has he done for me? He's had mercy on me. And who am I? A sinner. Mm-hmm. And so I began, uh, the way the Desert Fathers began, they taught their body to pray the prayer. So, um, so I started, I was running in those days, and I'm 81 now, I walk, but I don't run much anymore. And so in my running, I would say the prayer every footstep fall, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm. And now I can't walk fast without that prayer beginning uh, in my mind and heart. Mm. And then uh, the Desert Fathers would uh, sit and do it with their breathing, and finally their heartbeat. And so the prayer just came naturally. It wasn't something I had to think about 
to make happen. But it took the two-year-old to cooperate with me in being still and just being aware and sensitive to the presence of the Lord in me and in, in the space. So, yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. I love hearing that story and that history that you've had with this kind of prayer. I think um, you're almost doing what Laird is saying here. He, he's conceptualizing it as a doorway. You are conceptualizing it as a run. Well, it started as a run, mm -hmm. but and the run is easier than the sitting in the room, mm -hmm. right? I mean, again, if you think of part of our mind as a two-year-old, you're keeping him busy just doing the run, but sitting still in a room and being quiet uh, for our brain is harder because, you know, well, what are we doing next and what's happening? And I was a preacher in those days, and so what am I preaching on this Sunday? And you know, what's my next appointment and uh, what's happening with Charlotte and the kids and on it goes and still, you know, it's just my brain is uh, clicking and then why am I such a failure at prayer and where's God anyway? And, you know, he calls it this, uh, what does he call it, a video? Uh, you know, the priest and I'm watching this video of my brain doing this dance and... Yeah, I, I think, Tom, what... What that illustrates, though, is there's really not a wrong way to do this. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there may be a sense in which to, to be alone and quiet in a room and have some solitude, but to incorporate, I mean, the, the ultimate goal of even the quiet space is that you incorporate it into your walking and your running and your living and your whatever it is. So um, maybe it starts with a walk. And that's what enables you to be in a quiet space. And then that bleeds back into just the normal rhythms of life. And um, the goal is never um, to do it in a certain way. It's to bring it into every aspect of life anyway, I think. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, Scripture says, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I, I want to know, I want to get to know the Christ in me. I I want to spend time with him. I want to not just, I want to read about him in scripture and know him that way, but I want to know him present in, in the room and me. And so, you know, as a spiritual director, I listen to people's prayer practices and occasionally I, with a smile, I'll look at him and say, well, if you were to walk into your prayer closet and Jesus were sitting physically in the room, uh, would you do any of that stuff? Mm. And they said, uh, well, no, I don't think so. And so you mean you'd put down the devotional book, you'd put down the three chapters of scripture you'd plan to read, you'd put down your journaling book that you plan to use, and you'd put down your intercession list, and, well, yeah, of course. And so I think in this idea of contemplation, that's, that's what we want to do. There's nothing wrong with those other things, but there's a place in us that we, we want to know the Lord. And we want, to, we want to be able to just let him speak to us and uh, sense his presence and mm. learn how to do that. One of the things that really struck me in this chapter is just right there on the second page of the chapter where um, Laird is, is quoting from the, uh, uh, the J.D. Salinger uh, work, 
And it's where one of the characters says, I'm just sick of ego, 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 my own and everybody else's. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of not having the courage to be an absolute nobody. I'm sick of myself and everybody else that wants to make some kind of splash. And that, that really, as I read that again, it really captured me. Um, because I feel like that, uh, that kind of idea or that kind of desire is there because ultimately I want to be exactly what you were just saying. I, I want to be close to the Lord. I, I want Him to be mm-hmm. the one who is the focus of my attention, yeah. the one who is my glory, not always thinking about me, thinking about what I want or my thoughts or my ideas. Um, and I think that's part of what makes contemplative prayer, centering prayer so attractive is that it allows us to live into the deepest desires. Really throughout the book, but especially in this chapter and the next one, there's this whole idea of the the inner dialogue becomes the self. It's kind of related Mm -hmm. to what you're saying, right? So we don't really realize that the things that we're thinking about, the videos that play, the, the obsessive thoughts that we have, are not our true selves unless we have some kind of way to separate them. Unless we, in his words, meet them with silence, right? When, when the video is playing, <laughs> when the obsessions start, you just look at it with silence. And it's not like you have an answer for it, like now I'm getting better at all these things because he said that's another form of the video, right? That's another way of just kind of going deeper into ourselves. But to believe that it is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Right? There is a, um, a unity to my being now with the divine Lord. It must mean that myself is not the sum of these obsessions or these even commitments or good things or wrong things that kind of fill up my mental space. In, in the space with the Lord, when we're seen by him in his light, uh, we begin to recognize ourselves and then we can say, wait a minute. Uh, and the chattering that goes on that, and I think the spiritual warfare happens in that place too, because the enemy accuses us and, um, you know, you're a failure. You don't get this, you know, you don't, you can't believe God's putting up with you, you know, and on and on. And mm-hmm. Why don't you just quit? Oh, this, this isn't working. Try it again another day. I mean, you know, how, which one of us hasn't heard those accusations? And, but then we begin to recognize the silent land, if you will, which is where the Lord is, and this other kind of chatter that's going on. And I think you're right that, wait a minute, that's not me and that's not the Lord either. Can I ask you, Tom, about this whole idea of progress in prayer. I mean, he, he talks about that a little bit. He says, we have to be careful of that. You know, what stage am I in? How far have I progressed? Um, and progress in the spiritual life in general, it's a hard thing to, to determine. In some ways, we're like a child, right? Always. And that's always the door in. And in other ways, we do feel we see progress. How have you 
thought about that with meditation or just kind of with the spiritual life in general? Yeah, I think he's right. Uh, we can develop techniques. I mean, it could say, well, gee, I'm doing really well here. Uh, I, I found the word that works for me. Mm. Uh, I've learned to use it well, and it does seem to be controlling the chatter of my mind well. Uh, I'm able to sit more quietly. It's not torturous anymore. Um, and then at the end of my prayer time, that went really well, and I did well, and I feel good about myself. I mean, so that there's, I've just described a progress measurement that's totally about me. It's got <laughs> nothing to do with God. Wow. Right? I mean, it's, uh, I, yeah, I could have been anywhere doing anything, and uh, so I could have been swimming laps in a pool and giving myself the same praise for how well I did laps in a pool. and. So I think, uh, so that's one. Um, so better to look at, well, I, I wonder if it can be about God, not about me. Mm. I mean, how do I do that? Because it, you know, the more we are attentive to the light of God and, and his presence, the more I get glimpses at me. And I don't like what I see. <laughs> you know, I've been managing to avoid my ego, 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 you know, but how much my ego is involved in uh, what I do, say, how I feel, how I respond to people, and I don't want to see that. So when I get alone, not only do I see God, but I get glimpses of me. So, um, so you ask me, Tom, how are you doing at the end of your prayer time? How did that go? Well, maybe that wasn't that prayer time wasn't fun at all. Uh, I didn't like who I saw. Mm. So I think you know, Our Lady in this. She could say, ego, 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 and she wasn't just complaining about other people but herself. There was a vulnerability and an honesty there that I think it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal. So, so I can remember uh, when I was in Arizona, lived here, my prayer place was in the backyard under an olive tree. And most of the year I could go out there, here, and... Uh, I remember getting up one time and thinking, if you asked me, is anything happening in prayer? I would have said, I have no idea. The only reason I know that there is, is because I keep doing it. And I wouldn't keep doing, and I'm talking years here. You know, you know what's, makes, what's, yeah, that makes so much sense, Tom. And what strikes me in, in what you're saying is that I think we have a tendency to talk about God and our relationship to him in ways that we would never talk about any other relationship. Mm. You know, I mean, I think about a friendship or my marriage. Um, I wouldn't come away from an interaction with my wife and go, Oh, that felt really good. I think I did. A, I think I did a good job relating, you know, mm. I, I think right. the more natural uh, thing would be, I just, I just so love being with her, mm. you know? Or man, when I get together with Gray, I get together with Tom, I, I just so enjoy their presence. Mm. And am I changed? Am I transformed? Is there a progression? Mm. Is there a deepening in the relationship? Yes, but I'm not trying to measure it. I'm just trying to be present. Yeah. And, and, oh, and, right. then, and then things happen. 
And, and I think in, in the Christian world, too often we've become almost obsessed with this idea of spiritual growth rather than being obsessed with God himself. And then we're going to grow um, naturally as a result. That, that's a lot of what I'm oh, hearing think, in you. That's a perfect analogy. I mean, it's like coming out of church and you ask me, Tom, how was church today? And I responded, it was great. I really did good at singing the hymns. <laughs> you know? Or, or even to say, it was great. Man, the music was good. Or, wow, that sermon was good. Or, yeah. you know, versus, you know what? It was holy. Yeah. I met with God. Yeah. I was present to Him. The Lord touched me. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that could feel good or it could feel bad or it could have no quote feeling associated with it in a way so around to the to the doors i think you know that's um so to use the church analogy how do i just sit still in church and become attentive i mean if we use that parallel so so there's this opportunity for god to speak to me in the liturgy in the music in the sermon in the quiet spaces in the eucharist and so on and so I think in our prayer time, then that this use of a prayer word, the Jesus prayer, the, the name of the Lord, whatever it is, can that help me be attentive to to pay attention? You know, in spiritual formation direction talk, we talk about the gift of the skill of listening, and I think that's the similar kind of thing there. So we're with another person and. Rather than thinking, what am I going to say next? What am I going to do? What's really, you know, I'm, I'm attentive to, I'm trying to listen well. Um, and then if there's something to be said, I'm, the chances of me being helpful are better. And so in, in, the, in my prayer closet then, uh, I, I begin working at being attentive and paying attention to the other in the room. I think the doors are helpful in retrospect. And what he's really, if you do a contemplative practice for 30 days, you'll notice a lot of the things that he says through, through the doors, right? And so, you know, just the, the first door is the door of just major distractions, you know, where you literally can't sit still. Tom was describing an empty room. That's not happening for him early in his, and for many of us, you know, it just... To sit still, even for 10 minutes, 5 minutes, is torturous, right? And you begin thinking, you know, I think in the book he describes it like, hey, the neighbors are playing the music too loud next door. And you're not even, you're not even noticing that. You're, you're saying, why do they play it so loud? The script in your mind, the video that's playing in your mind is, I wish they were different and these types of things. And that, so any kind of stimulus that comes in, your to-do list, your responsibilities to family... Um, the noises that you're hearing, and then interestingly, even your own commentary on yourself. Mm-hmm. I am being spiritual right now. Uh, I am connecting with, I'm trying, this is ridiculous. I'm, well, who am I to sit still before God? You know, these types of things. And then what you do with the prayer word in the first door is you just return back to the silence, right? You you acknowledge that that's, those thoughts are happening, but then you return to the prayer word. And I like the language that he uses in the first door. It's a refuge, right? The prayer word is a refuge. 
It's the place that you go to because everything else is too loud, and you can you can return to that prayer word. And you're not doing any, you're not thinking about the prayer word. You're not analyzing what the prayer word means. You're just returning to it as a way to move away from some of the other things that are coming in. You know, there are many things that can help us um, focus music. I use a prayer shawl sometimes, uh, a candle, you know, that, that we can use. The nice thing about the prayer word is that we can take it anywhere, <laughs> right? And it's, so for me over the years, the, the Jesus prayer got shortened just to the word Jesus. And now the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit go up when I say the word Jesus. I mean, it's just, whether it's, you know. What do you mean by that, the shield of faith and the sword of spirit go up? Well, when I can be, I can notice temptation uh, and just Jesus, you know, it's just, uh, I can notice something in me rising up that, you know, like, why doesn't the neighbor keep his music down? He's an awful, you know, I can just, that tape, you know, I know how it goes. I've played it before, and I don't want to go there. Jesus, you know, it just is. It, it returns you to center. Yes. Returns you to presence. And I don't have to think to say it. Mm. It emerges in me, and that's why I put it with the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, they, the, the full armor of God. They just, it just, it, it becomes reflex in me that just says, no, uh, I'm, that's not me. Mm. I'm not going to go there. And no, I'm not going to believe that lie. And th that seems to then lead into the second doorway. If the first doorway is just utilizing a prayer word in all the ways that we just talked about, the, the second doorway... He, Laird says it this way, when negotiating the second doorway, the main task is to become one with the prayer word. The way a weaver is one with the loom or a dancer with the dance. Returning to the prayer word has become second nature. And that's, that's what I'm hearing you say, Tom. Yeah, I got a little... One of the things I really like about Martin Laird and in this book is... He's talking about who we are and who God is and in him and this. Uh, so, but he, in this chapter, he seems a little hesitant to talk about God. Uh, he a little hesitant to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I have no desire to become one with my prayer word. I only want to become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. My Heavenly Father and His Spirit. So that's so when I read that, I thought, okay, is, is he stretching a point here? And and do you think maybe he? Because I because I hear I, I told I, what you're saying. I absolutely I know, a million yeah. percent. And so, I guess I just hear the thing about returning the prayer word has become second nature. Yeah. And, yeah. and it made me think about when you, in whatever situation, would just say Jesus. And that, mm. that, that was reflexive. I think that's what he's saying. I think it gets better at the end, at the end of that section on the second word. It's better because that's when he brings in the second Corinthians 10, five, which is yeah. every thought in captivity and obedience to Christ. You know, yeah. when you, and I think that's what you're doing. You're saying like, when you say Jesus, that become that word is now full of content, right? Yeah. It's it's the sum of all this time that you've spent 
meditating on it and using that word. And of course, the word that is the word made flesh, it's Christ, it's Christ himself, right? So every thought then becomes captive in the same. So you have, in other words, in the, a way to return that's not just a distraction-free zone, but it actually has the content of Christ, which I think is a much better way of saying it than the word itself being our, yeah. you know, our oneness. It's that that word brings us to, to Christ. And, you know, he's, he's a beautiful writer, and metaphor is the way that we, and everything as we talk about the Lord ultimately is analogy, right? We, so we can talk right. the, about the ground of being and uh, the depth. Uh, we can talk about the silent land, and we're talking about God himself there, right? I mean, there isn't a silent land, and the silent land all by itself is has no meaning unless we read into it that place which is holy ground, right? Because uh, it's that place of God. So I don't want to get too fussy, but it uh, sometimes... I think it, it's good distinctions. I think it's important yeah. distinctions to bring up because that, that could be confusing. Uh, that could confuse the issue for people. And so I, I think of the... Uh, I was just in Panama with... And I think of one... African brother that I met there who's a, uh, a Pentecostal and he would say he said that's no word brother that was Jesus mm. <laughs> is what he'd say you know I'm putting words in his mouth but he's just out there about who God is and I, I think we can be uh, subtle and esoteric sometimes and somebody can say what are you talking about mm -hmm. you know and in spiritual formation particularly I think that there can be that Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so. and I think his acknowledgement that, hey, this could be three hundred doors or whatever too, is, is a way of him yes. saying, this. There's some artificiality to, yeah. to what I'm describing. So moving into the third door, what he describes as the third door, I yes. think, I think is um, his his section on this is beautiful. Just read it, I think. But I think we all know those of us who have engaged in some contemplative practice and had some some time with that, that there there are moments of <laughs> what's the word that we use? Ineffable love, euphoria, light, silent land, um, the embrace of the Father. There's some kind of doorway that we enter through where we are somewhat lost in and who God is. And the words we use to describe that are always going to be inadequate. Yeah. But ineffable love does happen to those who seek after God if mm. they pursue him with their heart, you know? And I think that's what he's trying to describe through the third doorway. There's, at some point, awareness itself aligns with God and the things that God, you know, the things that Paul, for instance, says in the New Testament when he's kind of going off on... <laughs> being in the third heaven or being, you know, out of his theological musings, he then gets to this place where he's saying all the things that are true in God, in Christ. Um, I think that's where Paul is when he's writing those those things. Mm -hmm. It's this third door, what Laird calls the third door, but you could describe it any number of ways. That's good. Yeah, a couple of things that he says towards the end of that section is he says, it is marked by a sense of deep inner freedom even in the midst of all sorts of constraints, limitations, trials, failings, 
and responsibilities. And then the next uh, paragraph, and this is the bottom of page 68, here we move into the promised land, the self-forgetful consummation in silence of our created identity, transformed from image to likeness, and then he refers to Genesis 1, and he says, manifestly hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3. So I, I really appreciate I appreciate that all the way through with layered is that he ties things to scripture mm-hmm. over and over again, and that's a beautiful example of it. And I, I like his transition. I mean, I like the three, uh, the two, do- three doors, and you know, the second one is really we we found silence. We've learned to to be still, and. Um, but he goes on, and I think there's some teaching our contemplation said, well, silence is the goal. But he said, oh, no. And so, so he goes on to talk about union, see? And so it's, it's not just, okay, be still, but, and know that I'm God. So he goes there. And so I think the ineffable love and the experience of that, however that may come, and he makes the point it's different for different people. It, there isn't a, okay, this is how it happens. We, you know, it, it's, it's, it's God does, it's what God does, and it's unique to each of us and the way we're wired. In the conference, we're gonna talk about attachment theory. So God's not gonna love on us in a way that is scary and, you know, makes us, run you know and but in sweet gentleness and that's so it's so I love the way he goes on and says you know the so I wrote shh at this point in the book on the end of the second uh, <laughs> door and but uh, so I, I love the way he goes on here and he seems to touch on something on, on the benefits of this life even though we're not pursuing it for the benefits but he does talk about what he calls uh, psychological hygiene Right, um, and he says, life still hurts. He says this in a couple of places in, in different ways, but life still hurts, but our emotional tone is such that we get over things quicker, and our and on the whole, our pet obsessions aren't quite the same easily hooked nose rings as before. Um, and I think this explains. It begins to explain at least why I can I can know different people in different seasons of life. And some of them who have gone deep into theology or, you know, have been in church their whole life. And, um, and yet for some people, it seems that it's the time with God sweetens that, that season, right? And for others, it seems like there's a lot more grumpiness and a lot more, you know, and, and we're all victims of, of that in some, in some sense. But um, I do think that there is something to getting these videos out of our head and then realizing that it's God himself mm. that we need. And there, the, when you meet that person who has really been with God, you know, there's a different tenor to their, to their emotional life. Um, and I think that's beautiful when you see it. And one of the benefits of having this life, even though we're not after the benefit itself, we're after God himself, he gives us that sweet you know, emotional life too. I think we're talking here, really, this is where transformation um, yeah, Dallas Willard talks about uh, 
the problems we have with sin management. You know, we're just trying to shape ourselves up. And, you know, there's something to it, right? I mean, we need to shape ourselves up at certain levels, but there is uh, being transformed into the image of Christ, right, that, that manifests itself. So, you know, the Apostle John calls himself the beloved disciple. And you can think, whoa, wait a minute, what arrogance is that? You know, <laughs> is he more beloved than the others? Well, of course not, and he can't believe that. But what is he... What's his identity become? I mean, you know, at a deep level. And then he sits so along your line. He says in, in his epistle, perfect love, which is God, right? Casts out fear. Well, we begin to see a brother or sister who functions without fear. And not in kind of a flagrant disregard of danger, but... Uh, Without fear, I mean, what their beauty comes out, who they are comes out, their ability to listen, to be present, to, uh, yeah. There's a a deep delight when you know that you're the beloved. Hmm. And, And, you know, what audacity to say, I'm the beloved of God, but I think that's, or like I'm God's favorite, but I, I think that's, that's a unique reality is that we all can experience feeling like we're God's favorite, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it happens as, I mean, this is really just a tool, right? The silence, all that. It's, they're doorways. They're things that help us. Um, just experience what's already there. And I, I think maybe I'll, I'll end with this, and, and this is from early in the chapter, but Laird quotes Thomas Merton, and Merton says this, in prayer we discover what we already have. Mm. You start from where you are, and you deepen what you already have, and you realize you are already there. We already have everything, but we don't know it and don't experience it. Everything has been given to us in Christ. All we need to experience is what we already possess. Yes. Yeah. Amen. 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 Friends, it's been our joy to have you listening along with us, reading along with us, contemplating with us at our Be Still events. And if you want to find out when the next one is, you can go to the website sfsaz.org. And you can find out where the next Be Still gathering is if you want to put into practice this contemplation practice. But you don't have to wait till the next event that we have. You can be still even today. On that same website, there are lots of other resources, spiritual directors you can get connected to, and other events that we have coming up, a conference coming up in the new year. You want to say anything about that, Ted? Yeah, Tom referenced that before. Uh, First part of February is our annual conference on attachment theory and our life with God, where um, we'll be looking at the themes of what does it mean to attach to God and how have our patterns and styles of of learning attachment and bonding, how does that affect um, our relationship? with God. So we encourage you to check that out. Thank you, Tom, for being our guest today. My delight. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you next time.